though the outlook of many trades seemed dim, especially with the events of COVID-19 and the way history has just been playing out. But now as things ramp back up, some of these trades are seeing a forecasting of high demand for technicians to come on back. This is Lane Statistics. <laughs> Again, uh, hopefully, well, I only learned what the acronym LAME stood for a couple of days ago, and I'm sure some of our listeners will understand, and hopefully our friend Hot Wings will hit us up on the social medias and give us a, a smiley face or a laughing face or whatever else, but uh, most people are going to look at the title and go, what the, I don't want to do statistics, the episode's going to suck ass. <laughs> right, it's, but whenever they said LAME, I, like, I immediately knew this was going to suck, like, but wait, there's an underlying term to this <laughs> and some of our <laughs> friends especially in areas where hot wings is at will totally understand <laughs> so so like um when did trades become popular well especially like aviation when did that become popular well for this goes way back when where like when airplanes were first invented like before that people the only type of air quote flight that people understood was falling with style and then here comes the Wright brothers with their plane. And then after two significant world wars happen, we start seeing an in, a boost in airplanes in general. People are making uh, international flights like uh, Charles Limbaugh and Amelia Earnhardt. And, and, like, and then the demand to just have bigger, faster, stronger, more reliable airplanes became the thing to do. And certain places like where aviation's a major area like say Ohio, for instance, or North Carolina, it just exploded. And so we now we have guys who used to be like farmers. Now they have the ability to crop dust. Not, and these so-called crop dusters became airmail or mailing services and then ultimately transitioned into passengers. So this stuff became like legacy jobs or legacy trades like within a, a very short period of time. Well, yeah, uh, I mean... If you look at the from 1903, when the Wright brothers took their first flight, fast forward to the 1960s, we were in a space shuttle heading to the moon. Like, think about that progression in that time, right? Mm -hmm. And now I know there's a lot of conspiracy theories out there with, oh, we'll see the aliens visit us. And that's how we got the technology, because there's no way we could have gone from horseback to the Wright brothers flyer all the way to space. But it happened, right? And what, what, well, let's face it, war is a big proponent of change, right? I got to outdo the others. Mm -hmm. Very much and, so. Uh, and so you go from real rudimentary crude piston engines and fixed uh, pitch propellers to turbine engines and rocket motors and a variance of fuels and materials and, and, uh, components that these these machines are being built with to design structure right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and and speed how fast can i go what what kind of uh maneuvering abilities do i have hydraulic systems right going from from cables or rope pulled systems to full-on hydro systems to in some space uh line systems uh nitrogen right mm -hmm. an rts system and it uses blast of air so you can control yourself when there is no atmosphere. <laughs> yeah. It, it's pretty wild. And, and with that, right. How do we build, 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 build bigger, better airlines need people to need maintainers to do that. Yes. And, and I think too, this would, this started back in, in those, in those um, times when having a trade was like the thing to do, right. There, like having an education was great. But you weren't worth your salt unless you had a trade. And so that was kind of like the mindset. And then somewhere along the lines, as we we're trickling down the timeline, it started to shift from having a trade to having a college education, which is not terrible. But you start you start seeing those those blue collar tradesmen starting to to wean out, right? They started wanting to Either well, yeah, you see the expertise is the art form. You see, you see it. Die. I mean, look at like cobblers, right? Mm -hmm. That's an art form, or um, uh, tanneries, right? For producing uh, leather 
or leather for to have leather made goods for to make boots and whatever else. I mean, I think there's three tanneries left within the United States. And I think over COVID, one of those had to end up shutting down, I'm sure. So there's two left, right? I mean, it's just crazy. Like, and then looking at cotton uh, mills, you know, taking cotton and producing, producing fabric uh, from that. Um, it's uh, th- those skill sets are, are dying off. Right. And then uh, just, just with aviation alone, like to flash forward to today, the age range for an, an experienced aircraft mechanic or a licensed aircraft maintenance engineer for some other entities around the world is between the ages of 30 to 64. I mean, where'd the, where'd the 30 years before happen and what's going on with everyone after 64? Well, I can almost tell you the ones from 64 and up, they're either just done with working because they've worked pretty much all their life and they're about ready to retire. And then you got these 30-somethings who probably been in it since the beginning or they've been brought up into it since the beginning. And there's not a whole lot of younger generation of people. So once the older generation retires or just decides to not do it no more, all these 30-somethings and in-betweens get trickled upwards. And now you got this void of entry-level and intermediate experience. So this turns into like, okay, now we got to bridge the gap. And now the higher level dude got to do all three leading up to their, their responsibility level. And there's no one to replace it. And I think that, I think that kind of stems from, from what we were saying earlier. Like it's more about getting the education and starting off as a white collar versus just having the trade and having a mastery in the trade that eventually leads to an education. You know what I mean? Well, and I think it's because um, for so long, trades were viewed upon, and I don't know where it started or what entity it started with, but they said, oh, if you want to be successful in this world, you have to go to get a college education. Only the uneducated go work trade trade jobs. You know what I mean? That's for the, that's for the lower class, the poor people. They're the ones who do that. You want to be the Wolf of Wall Street, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to go to school and get an education and let the blue blue uh, collar class, the lower class, let them work on your private jet, your private helicopter, uh, your Rolls Royce, your whatever, you know, fix your house, build your house. Right. So <clears throat> it was uh, pushed for so long from, I, again, I don't know if it was the through Washington via these. Uh, these schools, these universities um, to say, hey. If you want to be anything in this world, you have to go to go to college. But but now, because there was such a such a push for that so long and then they've inflated it. And, you know, to get a four year degree, you're going to go 80, 80 to 100 plus thousand in debt by the time you're 20, 20 to 21 years old. That's insanity. Whereas a lot of people now are OK. Hey, I spend I spend six to 12 months learning a trade and I'm out there making anywhere from you know 30 to to 65 dollars an hour uh i'm not in debt i own a house you know this and that and the other um so now it's starting to swing the other way where we're pushing for trades because like you said that older generation who was working the trades well they're they're moving on now or they're passing away and the skill set's dying with them and so we're losing losing a lot of that uh expertise that knowledge that should be passed on to the next the next generation of those workers yeah absolutely and we're, we're kind of jumping a little bit ahead but as far as like um well what i mean ahead is like we're we're forecasting this stuff for at least the next 18 years up to 2039 but so far we're looking for a demand of like 192,000 new technicians 65,000 pilots 169,000 crew members that's like the flight attendants and the crew chiefs in the planes all throughout 2039. And this is just in North America alone. I'm not sure what it's going to be like for the rest of the world. But I mean, North America is only like three countries. If you really want to, if you want to skin the cat like that, or three major countries and 192,000 technicians or technicians like mechanics, avionics and all that, just between those, just between that one region, that's like 
I don't know, let's do some slight math here, like 10,000 a year for the next 18 years. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. And, and, and two, right. The system, the market's going to be flooded here pretty quick with the uh, withdrawal out of uh, Afghanistan. There's going to be a lot of uh, military individuals that are close to retirement or coming up on retirement. So, Hey, my, my four years are done or whatever the case is. And they're now going to be into the civilian market uh, looking for jobs. So that's good news for a lot of our, uh, you know, military vets who are getting out and, and looking for work. It's going to be there. Yep. Um, Definitely. That's a good thing for them. And uh, we've been promoting this a lot on social media where a lot of veterans who are looking to go get into some form of the aviation or airline industry. uh, There's a group called RTAG where they're having a convention in San Diego, and I'm sure they're doing other events of that similar effect where you as a veteran or you as a service member who's looking into the airline industry has a, have a means to capitalize on that, where they be a pilot, where they be a flight attendant, crew chief, uh, technician, all that. So, I mean, the opportunity is there for you as a service member to gain that access or to gain the certification and licensing that you need to actually do the job and then for everyone else who's not in in the in the veteran community that just wants to start a life in the aviation industry there's so there's such a demand now that they almost don't care <laughs> you know they, they almost mm-hmm. don't care what you did prior like oh i used to be in a nail salon or i used to work at a footlocker like so the fuck what dude like can you read plain simple language can you see 2020 correctable or some shit like that? I'm like, well, come on in, <laughs> come on. I in. mean, I've seen that. I've seen that just in my own career with one of the places I've worked at in the past, you know, um, you know, we go out in town for lunch and go to a restaurant or whatever else. And you have one of the workers there serving this next, you know, fast forward a month later and you see them uh, walking around the building. Oh, Oh shoot. You work here now. Oh yeah. I got hired in as apprentice such and such and i'm working towards getting my licensing and i'm uh getting some uh, ojt and uh company's gonna buy off of my experience and and in that time frame that the apprenticeship lasts and i'm gonna go get my license and that's pretty awesome you know what i mean so yeah it's already it's already kind of working through that where background sort of almost doesn't matter at this point do you have a willing to learn and can you uh understand what you read yes <laughs> check mark let's do that and this this hits home too especially for the sections i'm working from some of the people that i've met uh when they asked them hey what'd you do prior to this um that's exactly what they told me like i used to work at foot locker i used to be uh, a nail i used to work at a nail salon i used to be a hairdresser uh i used to be a makeup artist like what sparked you to come here (laughs) like what made you want to be a an aviation mechanic or whatnot and he's like, well, I just wanted to change a pace. I just wanted something different. Like, fair enough. Fair. That's fair. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of people say, like myself, right? I wanted to travel. And I uh, heard that was a possibility. And that's why, that's why how I got into it. And that's why I took the job that I did out of school where I was, I was always traveling. Mm-hmm. And because um, I wanted to see the world a little bit. Now, I saw some not so great parts, but I saw some pretty cool stuff out there as well. And you know, before I went to school for to get my A and P, uh, I was digging ditches. I was working for a plumbing and electrical company, and um, I was digging ditches and cleaning uh, cleaning out sewage from basements where a pipe had burst and Ugh. doing that kind of work. You know, I'm not gonna lie. I, don't I, get I, me wrong. Don't get me wrong. Now, if I had stayed with that, I, I'd be making pretty good money. Pretty good money for 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 my job and because by now i'd be a journeyman in something so i'm not knocking that field at all either i'm just saying what i was doing before i decided to go to school yeah this kind of also reminds me of hot wings when we did an episode with her when she said she used to work at a what was it it was uh like a car mechanic shop right and Mm -hmm. the atmosphere there wasn't just what she was looking for it was very detrimental to her upbringing it was very demanding of her skill set and like and then when she finally decided to do the switch to be in aviation it was such a 180 like 
And I feel that that that's probably the culture set that a lot of people are looking for. They like that small community mentality, but they also like individuals who are willing to share their knowledge with you or at least sharing the upbringing with you. And this is um, some stuff I witnessed from the aviation communities that I've been around where like, yeah, they're some of them are pretty brash and they're very rough around the edges. But for the most part, we all want to see each other succeed in some degree because in the end, like our good work equals to the planes flying, which equals to us getting paid, which equals to us continuing our livelihood kind of thing. Right. And yep. And I think uh, I think some of the individuals who are still around, like in our age group or higher, are part of that old trades mentality when it's yeah, I gotta I gotta teach you like you're the upcoming Padawan to take my place kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, but that's but that's how it should be. You you gotta train you gotta train your replacement. And and I've worked with somebody gave me a good speech a long time ago, and I think it was a I think it was a colonel. Uh, a retired colonel from the Air Force, and he he said, "You you got to train your replacement." And I said, "Okay, well, why would I want to train my replacement? You know, he's going to take my job." He goes, "Yeah, just like the guy above you is training you to take his. It's, it's progression. If you don't train somebody to take your place because you feel that that you know you want to hold all that information for that area so nobody else knows it but you, you've now stifled yourself." By thinking that you've created your own niche and this and that, well, you created your own niche to the point where nobody's going to let you get out of it now because you're the only one who knows it. And eventually those people under you are just going to skip your step and keep on going. And I've seen it a hundred times. You know, you hit the nail on the head on this one. And I know so many good examples of that. Like, I'm going to niche myself into a corner, like where this is all I know. This is where all the button pushing comes to. So instead of people trying to learn your step, they're just going to go right through it. Like, okay, like this is, you are now the appendix of the company. Like you're cool to have, but it does nothing meaningful to us. Like you're just here, right? Yeah. What you've taught people by creating that single point uh, interaction, like you said, button pushing, uh, people learn how to, how to circumvent that system. Oh, okay. So it all has to go through you. I'll find a workaround. Don't worry about it. And they do. <laughs> I, I feel so guilty because that's exactly what I used to do. But, oh, okay. Oh, same here. You and I both have done that in the past. <laughs> oh, it has to go through you? Nah, no, no, no. Let me. There's another way. I'm sure I'll find it. Right. Give me, give me ten minutes. <laughs> it'll, it'll suck. I'll probably catch, catch some shit for it. But, but yeah, what, but I've been chewed out before. Yeah, I, I got, I got my ass handed to me before. It's fine. Like it'll be okay. But what they are gonna see is this new bridge that we built. And they're going to figure it out real fast that you're, you're just, we can, we can circumvent you. And this is going into like some real deep, like some gray area, no, no shit. But the, this is what it's part of the thing where like, you got to be able to share your knowledge, share the, the influence because you don't know when that influence is going to, is going to benefit or when it's going to come in handy. If you just like, hoard all the knowledge like a dragon in the cave with all the gold and shit. Eventually you're just going to be left alone and people are going to forget all about you. <laughs> yeah. Well, how many times uh, have you ran into this uh, where, you know, you're doing your job and you're doing an excellent job at it and your superiors come to you and say, Hey, uh, you've been kicking ass. Um, we would like to move you up into this position. Um, have you identified a replacement for yourself? Oh, uh, no. Why not? Why don't you have somebody who can who can run it when you're not around? Oh, because it's me and only me, and I thought it could be me. Oh, okay. Well, since you don't have a replacement identified or somebody who can actively fill in this role immediately because we need you over here immediately, you're stuck, right? Yeah. Uh, well, and so if you have somebody that you're working in tandem and who can be who you kind of have as your right hand um, man or woman you know, to, to fill your shoes when you're not around. That's uh that's not good for business. Single point of failure. <laughs> yes, absolutely. God, we've, we've had a lot of conversations on single point of failure. Yeah. We should totally do a whole another episode on that one. Single point of failure. Uh, yeah. And, and on, and I think that goes into like how some selfish people are, or they just don't know either. They just don't know, or they're just that damn selfish for the most part. It's the selfish part. 
because they yeah. like they like to be the button push. They like to be the the central hub just, of information. Yeah, it's just part of human nature. Yeah. I think. So, I mean, me personally, I like I like more about the spreading the load kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, if I can, if I can, if I can divvy up some of the work so it's not all falling on me, fantastic. Yeah, and then what that does too is it gives me a little bit of check and balance, right? Like, say if I forget something, the person to the ne- to the left or right of me is be like, "Hey, did you remember to do this?" Like, "Oh fuck, I totally forgot about that." Thanks, you know. Instead yeah, if you cover cover multiple entities or programs by having having that backup system, it it uh, frees you up to focus on some other things. Yeah, you know. Absolutely. And we, we kind of went on a little bit of a tangent, but that's basically what it is like that with that mindset that like you got to train your replacement. You got to share the information. You got to share the, the wealth of knowledge. Cause when your when your time frame comes and goes and now the whole system is in disarray because there's not enough people coming in to fill the gaps. Now it kind of falls on you. Like, well, we would have let you go, but you're the only one here that knows how the hell to do it. So either a, we got to find someone exactly like you or we just keep you here. Right. Yeah. And that just kind of delays your, your end that much longer. So for all the older individuals that are on the, in the process of leaving, like I'd write a book or something or have like a how to manual or a, a quick, a hot tips kind of thing and start throwing that stuff down, down range. So people can actually use it maybe incorporate it into something to that change that you guys were preaching so hard about wanting to do. That's a way to start it. Yep. So remember that as you guys are moving on and into your aviation maintainer's career, <laughs> you get it back on the original track. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so, so for all the other ones who are just coming in, right. I mean, the ones who've never been in aviation or the ones who have very limited exposure to aviation. Now's the time to do it. I'm telling you, because we like we said, like te- if we're hiring 10,000 new technicians every year for the next 18 years, granted, a, a good majority of it is going to be people who've already done something to the effect and then are just transitioning to that field. That's fine. But they're not going to fill all 10,000 of just that section, because let's face it, like you get too many of one cut co- of one thing, it's going to start to conflict with itself. So you need a little bit of a balance, right? And then, yeah, so it was explained to me this way, right? Your A&P license, your airframe and power plant license is a license to work. Just because you have the license doesn't mean you know anything about anything. It just gives you the opportunity to go work and learn. So get your license, but just because you have it doesn't mean you're king shit of aviation. You're definitely not. Yes. And so- um. Go ahead, go ahead. Just get in the shop and get your OJT. You say, well, I want to stay in school and get all these certifications. And from our EASA and CASA and FAA realms, yeah, you, it's good to have all the certs and it opens a lot of more doors for you. But experience is everything. Yes. So get your license, get out there, get to work and learn what you can and pick up those license, pick up those other licenses along the way as you feel that you require them or need them or just want them. But, but the hands-on is, is, you know, necessary for progression because if I'm, if I'm an employer, right. And I'm hiring and I need, uh, experienced mechanics, I need turnkey mechanics, right? Mm-hmm. Hey, I got, I got a King air, uh, two, two new King airs in the fleet and I don't have any King air experience. And you applied to me, yeah, but I got my AMP, I got my FCC, I've got, uh, I've got my uh, these hydro and whatever fittings and certifications. I've got these uh, uh, avionics specialty bench testing certifications. You know, I've also got my B1 EASA. Well, fantastic, but none of that's related to the King Air. You know, I need. You have no experience. You have no av aircraft experience. You've just spent time in school getting the license you don't actually have any hands-on application i need somebody who i can throw in there maybe doesn't have king air experience but has spent uh the last five to six years working a golf stream okay well at least they've got hands-on and, and understand and can move on and if you get out get your license and get out there hell most of the companies most companies will send you to the school so you ain't got to spend your own money they'll they'll pay you to go to school to learn what they want you to learn to better that company yeah. You, you know what? Uh, I was, I was reading this article for CASA, 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 
the Australian version of the FAA. And I want to say is this, the FAA has something similar where they have like a high school program for high, for like high school juniors, I want to say this, where they can apprentice, get some of the schooling done for the AMP. And by the time they graduate, they would have had at least two years under their belt in some form of an aviation platform. And they're well under, and they pretty much got the experience needed so they can just test out for their license. Right. And yeah. Well, I, I so think- there is something like that within the U.S., but it's not at all locations. Like where I grew up, it's even though it's in the birthplace of aviation, they didn't offer anything like that, at least in the area where I was at. But I had a, a friend who I worked with at one of the jobs, and he was from uh, Queens, mm-hmm. New York City, and his high school offered that. So when he graduated high school, he had an A&P and two years of hands-on already. So he was already ahead of the curve. Um. I know in the area where I and you live, but more on the side of where I live, they have two high schools now within the area that offer that because the aviation industry in this immediate area is so big. Like the industry, like most, most companies, US based aviation companies are, are here, at least from a DOD perspective. And so to wit, the high schools in the area, they built brand new high schools specifically aviation based stem schools so you come out of school with an a and p and in some aspects you've already got an associate's degree towards your engineering and then the local college has been tailored many classes to focus aviation based so whether you what route you want to go if you want to go now i say engineering right for europe and australia maintainers are considered engineers but here in the states we're considered maintainers were not called engineers engineers are the ones who sit behind the computers and draw plans and documents and blueprints the nerds you know what i mean yep so they so a lot of times once they get out of the high school here they go to the local community college and by time two years into the community college they've got a bachelor's in uh mechanical uh aeronautical or electrical engineering and then they also have courses for literal aircraft uh, manufacturing. And so you'll go in there and you'll learn some sheet metal aspects. You'll learn some composite aspects. You'll learn how you'll learn different computer programs that you'll be utilizing within one of those companies in the area. Like it gives you a heads up. And then now these companies are then recruiting directly from that one spot. So by the time you get out, you, you're almost guaranteed a job. And even the company that you and I work for currently have just started a program with the local college of the canyons and it's a low observable course. Hmm. And so you can go now, now you get accepted into the course pending. You can pass a background check. So keep that in mind for those who want to apply. And college of the canyons, I think is down in Santa Clarita, if I'm not mistaken, but anyhow, you go there, you learn the basic ins and outs of, uh, low observable and then from there the company will recruit directly out of that program so by when you graduate you are essentially by the time you pass that course if you pass that course you're guaranteed a job you're guaranteed an entry-level job and that's going to school i mean no no you as much as you know about an airplane is that it just flies in the air and you know nothing else about them (laughs) you still if you go and learn that course and you get and you got a foot in the door man yeah and that, and that's kind of like the the big uh the big door opener right there just have your foot through and you'd be amazed how much stuff you'd be opened up to whether it be the exp- apprenticeship whether it be going through a school or you going to a high school program right i think i think uh FAA and Casa do an awesome job with this especially when Hotwings was telling us about her experiences how she got into the whole thing where she's doing a four year apprenticeship et cetera et cetera and then like some schools both Casa FAA i think he also does it too where you start off in high school, they give you some pro, they give you like a bunch of programs, some experience. You basically walk out with two years worth of experience and you just work for the other two with an, with a company that possibly already offered you an apprenticeship. And then bam, there you go. So, and then like you were saying with the school where like they have, they have these new programs where they'll send you to school to learn these programs. And then you're basically guaranteed an air quote internship that leads to a permanent job. That's yeah. That, that's pretty awesome. When we were coming up, that was unheard of. 
<laughs> no. And one thing that I wish that the United States would do that they do uh Canada, Europe and and uh Australia is that they do, they do call the maintainers engineers. We might as well be, man. Half the time we're finding those blueprints that are wrong and we're going to the engineering and fixing them yeah. hand in hand with the engineers. And and it should be that way cuz it would also increase pay wages some too but the unfortunate side within the u.s and i can't remember what what uh what presidency made it to where in the united states aviation maintainers are not a specialized industry whereas like auto maintainers are Mm -hmm. or uh carpenters are It, it 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 doesn't make a lot of sense to me because there's so much risk involved with being an aviation maintainer yeah there isn't cars too but the car breaks down you roll to the side of the road and you call triple a or something, you know, right. Uh, carpenter. Oh, Hey, I cut the board wrong. All right. Well, rip the board out. Try again. Uh, in aviation, you do something to that effect a little off and it falls out of the sky, right? There's no pulling over a plane. I mean, you're going to glide in and hopefully make it to an airfield, but if you don't, chances of catastrophe are extremely higher. So for some reason, we're not considered a specialized industry within the United States, but I hope that changes. And I wonder if we could work with that RTAG group to somehow push something to Washington to get that way. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, that'd be something we could definitely talk about or at least pitch it to him. And I'm sure there's a lot of aircraft mechanics out there who've, who are basically on par with being an engineer either with their own personal experience or with dealing with some of the other entities that do recognize aircraft maintenance engineers and be something we can totally push. <laughs> I'm not going to yeah, lie. It would be awesome. I'm still it'd be la- fantastic if we could. Yeah. Honestly, I'm still laughing about the whole lane thing. <laughs> well, so <laughs> <laughs> I'm still so laughing about it. I swear. I pulled up the article. Uh, let me see here. So I've downloaded this PDF online and it's uh, it's from the Australian Government Civil Aviation Safety Authority, the 2019 Career Guide for Aircraft Maintenance Engineer, i.e. i.e. an AME, an AIM. Mm-hmm. But if you want to be a lame, <laughs> you're a licensed aircraft maintenance engineer. Now, that's hysterical. And I, Australia, there, you couldn't have come up with a better... A better acronym. You're so lame. Why? Thanks. I have a really good job. Awesome. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if they clown themselves about that. You know, like, like I wonder if they do too. That I, I would be all the time. Like, oh God, you're so lame. Yeah, thanks, man. I worked hard to get there. <laughs> <laughs> if they haven't, they probably should. I mean, I mean if they probably they, we, they probably um, have a lot more respect than that. But I could just imagine someone just not knowing what aviation is about at all. And you hear and you see their business card or their license or something. And it's like, what the fuck is lame? <laughs> oh my God. I can imagine the bar jokes they get for that. Oh, oh, here, here. Okay. So it says, uh, let's, let's go over a little bit of the article. So is aircraft engineering for me, right? So we're talking about getting into the industry or if you're already in there and you want to progress, whatever, but. Uh, section one is air is states is aircraft engineering for me. Do you love the idea of working with state of the art technology? Do you like to know how things work? Do you enjoy finding practical solutions to problems? If so, aircraft engineering could be for you and aircraft engineers get to work with some of the newest and most powerful flying machines on earth. Uh, it says as an aircraft engineer, you will always be at the center of things in aviation. No aircraft takes off without being checked and signed off by an engineer true very true same goes for us in the states uh an aircraft engineer must be methodical meticulous and love hands-on work aircraft engineer enjoy aircraft engineers enjoy bringing all their training and experience together to find and fix physical problems and of course there's an instant satisfaction of seeing your hard work really take off the diversity of aircraft flying today means you always have something interesting in your fingertips or at your fingertips excuse me as an aircraft maintenance engineer, an AME, pronounced AME, or licensed aircraft engineer, maintenance engineer, LAME, pronounced LAME, you could specialize in checking and maintaining 
aircraft engines and components, simple piston engines to complex microcompressor controlled jet engines, structural integrity ranging from wood and fabric to advanced composites and complex metal alloys, electrical systems. Some aircraft have the capacity to generate enough energy to power a small town. True. Very true. Flight management, navigation, and communication systems utilizing microcompressor satellite and laser technologies. Uh, to be successful in aircraft engineering, you will need strong attention to detail, a preference for mathematics and science, the ability to work well individually and as part of a team. So if it sounds like you read on, you could be on your way to a satisfying career keeping Australia's fleet of more than 15,000 private and commercial aircraft flying safely. So there you go. No, it's Amy and Lamy. 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 I don't care. I'm still calling it. Aim and lame. Aim and lame. <laughs> like, but you know what, man? Like, as you're reading, it's like, is this for you? And then you start reading it off like, wow, this is like, this like summarizes my life right now. Like, I do like making practical solutions. I like hands-on work. Yes, I do like to play with new toys. God damn it. This thing really pegged me. <laughs> it had me pegged. <laughs> and then you listen back to some of our other episodes like, son of a bitch. I, piece of crap, mother. God. <laughs> <laughs> well. Well, that, that's the, that, that's a going on to like the, the nature of things, right? Because no matter how new something is or how sophisticated and smart it is, if you don't take care of it, it's going to break, right? And mm-hmm. for those of you out there, if a lot of stuff that we, that we have worked on, it's not taken care of enough or it's, or it's ran too ragged to be well taken care of, right? Like say like when you guys go to a Jiffy Lube and they say, hey man, you need to replace your air, air filter. How many of you say no? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, just for an air filter, like a twenty dollar air filter, like nah, I'm cool. It's okay. <laughs> just let it ride. Well, that's the same mentality with airplanes. Like, hey, boss, uh, somebody serviced the oxygen with nitrogen, so uh, we should probably take this plane down and fix it. Ah, it'd be fine. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? No, air is air, right? No, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still fuming so, about that, by the way. <laughs> this uh, this article, man, from uh, Australia is actually is very. It's a very good article. So, section two is where could a career in aircraft engineering take me? Ooh. Aircraft engineers are in demand by airlines and aviation companies. You could progress from an apprentice to a licensed professional, and there are lots of areas to specialize in. Aircraft engineering could also be a pathway to aeronautical engineering, which is a highly theoretical field utilized in the manufacturing side of aviation, uh, as well as in the structural, mechanical, and avionics maintenance fields. Now, you'll learn as you get in the industry, right? You can work production, manufacturing, to flight test, to operations. Um, Some people like the production side of the house. They like the repetitive same, looking at these these sections all the time, getting... really good at those specific areas of the aircraft uh, build process. It's not for me. I can tell you that I am, I am an operations based person through and through a little bit of flight test, but flight test gets real annoying because it's constantly changing configurations, this and that. Yep. I'm all about getting out there and doing missions. So op side of the house is where I, where I like to be. And that's where I'm at now. Same. Here. Um, I mean, I'm not, but that's kind of my thing too. Like, like doing the manufacturing and production side, has its moments because you actually see the things getting made and you actually you're the ones kind of the the first line of quality to make sure that we're giving you guys a solid product so if anything's broken it's your fault kind of thing (laughs) but well the best part about production is if you're getting started out in the aviation field that's the best area for you to be in you are going to get such an in-depth knowledge of those airframes because you're going to see the integral side of them. You're going to be installing the components into the airframe. You're going to have such an in-depth knowledge. So once you finally move on to flight test or ops and you're fixing problems as they break coming back from flights and things, you're going to already know how that system is installed, where it's installed and how it operates. So yes, you're still going to have to follow your manual, but you're going to be that much faster because you already have that kind of knowledge. So it's a great way to start out in the field is in production. Um, but once you get beyond that stage, again, for me, what coming to the growth side of things, I was like, man, I got to I got to do something yes. else. And so then I found out the op side and then I was like, oh, this is it. This is where I like to be. Yep. Yep. And so like, so uh, again, for everyone else, like, like, 
don't just look for the shining gold ticket. Sometimes, you know, you got to build your way up to it. Just like what that uh, article in Kesa says, like it can lead to, but it's all on, all on you as far as being, as far as the wanting to chase it, right? Sometimes you may get lucky and just dump right into it uh, to flight tests or operations or whatnot. But I mean, if, if you're, if your only door at the moment is an entry level for a production team, Hey, Hey, you never know where it could lead you. Sometimes you may find out that uh, this, the the stereotypes you hear from it are not 100% accurate. And like, well, I don't see what it, what the hype was about it, but here we are. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Everybody's experience is different. But to add to what you're saying, all right, continuing on with this article, the more qualifications and variety of engine system type licenses you have, the better your employment and career opportunities. Australia's aircraft engineer trade qualifications conform to international standards. So you could find yourself working for a global maintenance company with the opportunity to work anywhere in the world. And that goes true for EASA and FAA, be it Europe or here in the States. Um, you can you can definitely, most definitely find a spot where you can work anywhere in the world. It's it's pretty impressive. And it could be even a the company you work with in your within your own home company. They might have uh, foreign based operations. And you could go work over there. You, you never know what's going to what's going to become of it. But um, just got to get in there, get your feet wet, learn what you can get the training uh, certifications or not training, but get your certifications along the way and just make yourself as marketable as possible. Absolutely. And again, like we said, we're within the next 13, 18 years, they're gonna, we're just in North America alone. We're looking about 10,000 new technicians for a total of 192,000 technicians and then 65,000 for pilots, 169,000 for crew chiefs or crew members. So that's almost a that's that's a lot of opportunity for a lot for a lot of people there when when we were coming up that didn't exist. It was either you're in it already or you knew someone who was and you had to have someone network you in. Nowadays, you just have to have a pulse, really. A pulse. Yeah, of, I mean, you know how you know how I found about getting into the aviation maintenance field? What's that? Uh, I was up at like 1130 one night watching TV in my bedroom and a commercial came on <laughs> and that's the one and only time I ever saw that commercial. Yeah. And it was right around the same time I was looking to, it was just uh, after high school and I hadn't really decided if I was going to go military or, or college. I, you know, met with a couple of recruiters and stuff, but hadn't made any decisions and didn't know if I wanted to go to a four year yet either. Cause I didn't really want to be buried in books. And then I just happened to see that uh, commercial come on and the very next day. Daz as well, have you thought about anything else? I said, well, I saw this last night. And so that next week we drove over to where that school was at and, uh, and got a tour and I said, yeah, I guess I can do this. And that's, that's literally how I got into it was a late night, late night commercial. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Almost the same with me, except the commercial was for the Marine recruiter, but same, same. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but, but like we were saying, like, so we're, we're hiring a lot of, well, companies are hiring a lot of new technicians. And as we show, we've mentioned like the aviation industry, uh, among others, they're booming and they're booming fast. So like right today, Say you start today, you're working on reciprocating turbine engines or something like that. And then 10 years down the line, we're like semi-nuclear freaking supersonic engines. You never know how, how fast the stuff will advance because, I mean, ask us like 10 years ago where the airplanes were. And I can tell you like they were still using Atari-based computer brains. <laughs> well, I mean, as for some of the nav systems, how you would download the new maps and charts for the nav system. Mm-hmm. still uses floppy disk and that was up until just i think that some of them still are but i was doing that up until like five years ago yeah and they're like hey we got to go download download the new maps and charts i was like cool uh we doing like usb we doing a uh, direct connect via laptop into the system uh no you're going to download it from the website onto these floppy disks floppy are you shitting me <laughs> <laughs> And then there was fucking, you would always get to like 98% and then the fucking floppy disk would shit itself out and you'd have to go cut the whole series yet again. Dude, I remember one night I went through 65 floppy disks to do one map load. Jesus Murphy. Oh my God. I hated those things. <laughs> but it's because to upgrade that system from a floppy disk to a USB was a $10,000 upgrade. And none of them, the, those operators weren't paying that money because they had that one particular operator had 
at least 15 aircraft that would have had to been upgraded. Jesus. And they were going to, they weren't going to spend that kind of money when we can just, they can make clowns like me go out there and waste <laughs> six hours downloading 65 floppy disks to get it to work. Right. <laughs> this kind of, I'm not gonna lie. This kind of reminds me of like, um, like vibration tests for helicopters before, like I would listen to a lot of legacy, um, technicians and they'll talk about using grease pens and, um, uh, what is it called? Like vibration charts. Like you would actually have, you'll have like this circle chart and you have to graph all the points of where you fought, where you um, saw the vibrations and shit. Like nowadays, the freaking plane is so smart. It basically tells, it emails you what's wrong with itself. <laughs> you know? Well, well, that's how some of the new golf streams are, man. Like you're flying along and it'll give you, you, you can fix most things with a laptop. You just plug in and it tells you what's wrong with me. Yeah. I had a hiccup in engine number two and it looks like igniter four is, or, you know, igniter two is, uh, is, uh, a little, uh, corroded and fuel nozzle six is, is, uh, not operating as efficiently as it could. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Th- yeah. Thank you, plane. <laughs> thanks. Thanks, plane. Good looking out, plane. You're, now imagine you're right. Ten years, from, 10 years from now, like we're going to be using like, uh, drones to help fix planes. We're going to have like little freaking R2 units, like with all the tools and shit you will ever need, like in its body and shit. <laughs> for real though I, I foresee that i foresee that happening too you're going to walk out there and the little r2d2 is going to plug into the plane he's going to whistle three times and put up a hologram of what's wrong a 3d <laughs> map printed showing what's wrong with the plane right <laughs> but, like holy cow but yeah uh, you know that's pretty impressive i hope i hope it does get there though that's gonna be fun man i'm, I'm imagine going through the training i here's your issued r2d2 and you and him are gonna have to go through the schooling together to learn how to work well with one another and how each other operates I'm not gonna lie, that'd Fun. be so dope. <laughs> that would be dope, man. I'm excited for that. And thinking about that now, God, I want my own. I want my yeah. own R2D2. Right. Only Come on, time. R2, time to go to work. Boop, beep, boop, beep. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's uh that's potentially the outlook. So if you've thought about it, if you've remotely considered it, just just pull the trigger and do it. Cause at the worst case scenario, you just you end up with some kind of schooling or some form of a license and some form of experience that's going to challenge you. And then if you end up do sticking with it, the possibilities in the very near future to the distant future are going to be so wide because this stuff expands and advances so fast. That's another reason why we need newer guys to come in, because a lot of these legacy individuals, they're so used to the, the systems that they had that never changed that much within 20 years and then flash forward 20 years after that it's freaking completely new glass cockpits and planes that talk back to you shit your tools almost talk back to you <laughs> well and that's and, and to add to that right and going just from this article again from the australian government uh aircraft maintenance engineer license are perpetual but to keep licenses current aircraft maintenance engineers are required to have six months experience in the field during the previous 24 months. But due to the ever-increasing complexity of aircraft, lames are encouraged to undertake ongoing training using courses such as those offered by manufacturers, employers, or external contractors. So as Six has said, these, you know, when you start out in the field, just like he and I started out in the field, we're using these old floppy disk-based systems to moving on to aircraft that can talk to you and tell you what's wrong with it. But to be comfortable with those systems, you know, you got to get the training on it and how to use the software within the laptops, uh, your maintenance laptops, how to operate the system on the aircraft. And so talk to your employer. Say, hey, boss, you know, I'm seeing we've got two of these aircraft in here now. We've only got one one person who's been trained up on it. I've been working hand in hand with them and learning a little bit, but I would like the official training and and try to sell it to them that way and saying, Hey, you know, instead of single point failure, send me to school. I've already got a little bit of understanding. Let's, uh, let's just get, make it, uh, make it true with a piece of paper. Yeah. Right. Um, so Amy's and Lamy's or Ames and Lames, uh, an aircraft maintenance engineer works under the direction of licensed aircraft engineer, the lame to carry out servicing and maintenance work. They must meet a range of local and international aviation standards to ensure the aircraft is worthy. An AME's job is to maintain and service aircraft. In approved maintenance organizations located in Australia and in approved maintenance organizations operated by Australian or overseas companies located overseas. So you are 
So in some cases, right, let's just say you're in Australia, you got to abide by their rules. But let's say you're coming to LAX to work on a plane over here. You got to abide by, you know, your host country's rules as well as the FAA's now because you're operating in FAA airspace. And then if you move over to Europe, you've got to abide by EASA stuff as well. Yep. Now, LAMIs or LAMES can also carry out servicing and maintenance work, but their main role is to supervise the work of other engineers in the team and sign off their work. So you're the, you're the two stamp or you're the uh, inspected by sign off. So there's corrected by inspected by here in the States. Um, you're the, you're the second signature. Yep. Yep. Uh, let's see. And certifying that the job has been completed to the required standard and the aircraft is ready to fly. In most cases, an aircraft engineering team will be made up of a number of apprentices, aviation maintenance workers, AMEs and lames across different specializations, mechanical, structural, and avionics. The ability to communicate clearly and effectively as part of a team is very important for an aircraft engineer. So know that when you're working with your team, know who's got what certifications and what specializations and say, okay, I've done this job, but I'm only to this level. I need to find me uh, a lame to come and sign off my, my work. Oh, but the two lames we had for the team, you know, both took time off today well shoot who are we getting to sign this now so as knowing that as part of a team you guys can kind of plan around and say hey so-and-so's taking pto but that other person's the only one who can sign off our work so one of those one of them has to be here at any given time and if not we got to find a lame from another group to come in over and, and work with us that'll help you in the planning of that but also the cross training right because it mentioned uh structural avionics and mechanical so if you're a structural guy, but you kind of want to learn some engine stuff, cross train with a mechanical. They'll teach you some engine stuff. You can teach them some structural stuff and then vice versa with avionics. Let them teach you some things about the, and you can guys all can grow better as a unit and uh, each help each other out, getting some OJT and then move on and grab that certification. So you can work your way up to becoming a lame. <laughs> you can be super lame. Super lame. <laughs> I know all systems. <laughs> and, uh, honestly, man, like that, that a nail in the head. And this is coming from another country's um, organization or their regulations, but it's hand in hand with it's like worldwide, you know, like, like you got your teams, you got your certs, you got your awareness of certs, the situations that they apply to and how to get them. So again, like this is for everyone else coming in, like, Sometimes, you know, you're not, you're not going to start mid-level like most of us would want to if, if you had like next to no experience of it. But there's so many opportunities for you to get to it. There's so many doors out open once you are in. And how far you want to take it is completely up to you. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, we don't have to read any more out of this article. I mean, I could continue reading. It's got, and we could feed off of what it says. This article has got some fantastic stuff, right? So just to give you some bullet points, um, it tells you about starting out as an aircraft uh, maintenance engineer. Uh, what do you do next? What do you look into? How do you choose a training organization? Gives you bullet points of uh, kind of what to look for in the school. Tells you about what you'll study under the different systems, such as mechanical, avionics, and structures. Um, from aim to lame, how do you get your license? And explains uh, what you, all you have to do within Australia, I know this is Australia based, but I mean, they might as well have just changed the title from the FAA to this. It's, it's almost verbatim and and, in all reality probably is Um, just change a few words here and there and change the title block. But uh, it tells you what you're going to do to go from an aim to a lame and how you get there and everything else. Um, And then tells you even about goes so far down as to tell you how to choose a workplace, right? So you got your license, you get out of school. All right, where do I want to work? You know, what do I want to do? Uh, what do I want to work on small Cessna prop jobs? Do I want to go work on a, on a Qantas, uh, 747, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so it's pretty, pretty good article and it has some, uh, career profiles in here for some local, uh, well, Australia, local to Australia. Um, personnel within the field down there kind of gives you they give him a little story on them and kind of how they started out and like this one one person who's a uh who's from brisbane uh he worked he was at a dead-end job in a 
friend talked him into looking into the aircraft side of things and kind of him and all back and forth. And it turns out he's the, uh, he's the best, but it's the best decision he ever made. He's moved on. Now he's a man. What's it say? He's a manager. Uh, I can't. Well, anyways, he's a manager and I can't, I can't really read the rest of it, but, uh, yeah, he got his whole degree and everything else and it's, it's worked out well. Yeah. Hey, there you go, everybody. <laughs> Chat. All it takes is to, just to have your foot in the door. And nowadays, with the way the, st- the job outlook, the statistics of it all is looking, now is the prime time to do it. Like, you hear all these opportunities of like how to, when to buy a house, when to sell stock, when to do this. If you're looking for a job, now is the time to do it, especially because everything's on the low because of all the cutbacks and the drawdowns and COVID and all this other shit. So doors are ba- basically flinging open for your people to like, we need you now. And we don't care what you used to do. That's the time because now they're investing in you. And now they're, they're going to give you the opportunity to yeah. do what you need to do or take yourself where you want to go. I yeah, really get don't yourself s- in now before the market's flooded. Right. So you're only competing with 10 people for a couple of positions rather than 10,000. Now, as we've said, right. Not to scare you, but as we've said, you know, over the next from now until 2039, 10,000 jobs a year. And that's a lot. But when you look at the millions of people within, within the United, United States specifically, and if you, you know, withdraw uh, force reduction from military and all that kind of stuff, you might be competing with, uh, instead of uh, 10 people for that job, you might compete with 30 people for that job. So uh, don't get discouraged, but, but be proactive and get out there ahead of it and learn what you can and stay, uh, keep on your toes, you know? Yes. And I, I think, um, and I think six, this, I don't know if there's a way if we can post this article on our social media or, or put the link in our social media so our listeners can go read it for themselves. Yes, it's 2019. And if you're better at the interwebs than I am, you can probably find the 2021 guide, but um, don't know how much would have changed since then. But, uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's a good read. It's a good read for those, whether you're in Europe, the States, Australia, Canada, Philippines, you name it. Um, it's it's a good read. Definitely. Kind of gives you an idea of where to go. That definitely is. I mean, like I said, like as we're reading through, like wow, this had me pegged pretty good. I'm not even in, not even working for Casa or anywhere near Casa. <laughs> so, and they say like change change a couple words, change the title, and it's and it's basically whatever country's aviation authority is. It's it's that universal. Yeah, it's going to be the same same steps to go, no matter what country you're in. It's just it's just different verbiage and what they decide to call you within your own home country. Right. Uh, final thoughts, MVP. Uh, Hey, it's, it's like any career, right? It's got its ups and downs, but for the most part, uh, aviation maintenance has been pretty good to me. Uh, a lot more ups than downs. Um, stay fluid, stay flexible. You know, if you get into an organization and you just don't like how they're operating, don't be afraid to move on. Um, I've done it six, six or seven times now, but each, each step was a positive one. Um, each one was a little further progression in the chain, right? It got stalemated, uh, stagnant at uh, a couple other industries. So I said, okay, there's no chance for me to move here. So let me, let me try this other company. And then from there to another one and eventually you just get to where you want to go. Hopefully you don't have to move and the company values you right away and sees your potential and lets you move up. But if not, Hey, don't be afraid to say, well, I got to make the change for me. Yes. And then like we were alluding to a lot of these times, like you just need to put your foot in the door and then your opportunities is all your potential for growth and opportunity is all dependent on you. Like we never saw ourselves doing anything with space or do anything with certain type of uh, jet bodies. But here we are. <laughs> so if yeah, we, if we, it's crazy the stuff that's out there, you know. Yeah, and the Where way it's proje- and the way it's projecting this to see itself in the near future is a lot more advanced than what we thought it would be when we first started. So you never know; you guys could find yourself on Mars. <laughs> but it all starts oh, with mean, that with our own little R two D two. Like I keep thinking about that now. I really <laughs> want my own little R two D two. Right, and he's got all the current maintenance manuals downloaded. So no matter where I'm at in the world or what country's playing i'm working on i got i got the manuals <laughs> right <laughs> and it's trans- it's translated too to whatever you need it to be <laughs> yeah got to be 
That'd be freaking awesome. Somebody, I hope so, man. Somebody smart, so. start this. Start doing this now. Like plan yeah, it somebody out. smarter than us, get on it. But but put our names on the front. We want to be there for the development phase, please. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be your test bed. Right. Whatever you want. Please, I'm down for that. <laughs> uh, on that note, thanks everybody. Bye everyone. Have a good day. <laughs> We'd like to take this time to thank our patrons for supporting our show and allowing us to continue to make episodes, maintain our gear, and create merch for all of our listeners. With special thanks to Erica Lamont, Chris Hawkins, Ryan Freshour, Dan Schubert, Jenny Dignan, and the ladies of the Dick Talk and Mimosas podcast. Thank you all so much for your support and patronage. Visit our shop at cancelformaintenance.com and grab some swag to show off both your support for us and your prowess as an aircraft technician. If you have ideas for the show or you'd like to be a guest on the show, visit our contact us section and send us a line. We will do what we can to get your ideas or yourself on the show. You can also follow us on social media such as on Facebook at Cancel for Maintenance, Instagram at Kanks, that's C-A-N-X for Maintenance Podcast, or on Twitter at CXMX Podcast. Check out some of our affiliates like Rockwell Time, where they make both rugged and classy watches to fit your lifestyle. Use the code CX4MX and save 10% off your purchase. Support us on Patreon. Our patrons get exclusive perks such as access to our Discord, discounts and early access to merch, special patron-only episodes, and so much more. Thank you again so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.